You're listening to Strictly Business Podcast with Lindsay Williams. Today I received a piece entitled Reorientation. Globalization isn't dead, it says. It's just being radically reoriented with Asia, the Orient, at its center of gravity. That poses some crucial questions for investors. The author of this piece is Michael Power, strategist at 91 in Cape Town. What prompted this piece, Michael? I think it was the fact that uh, everybody was going around, the woe is me West was going around saying globalization is dead and uh, the, wor- the world is you know, going to hell in a handbasket as a result of it. Um, and I just wanted to get people out of their sort of rather the West is the world perspective and, and realize that beyond the West, there is another world. And indeed, very soon that world economically will be bigger than the West. You say in the first part of this piece, you say the US-dominated version of globalization is evolving into a new trading pattern with Asia at its heart. Now, there's one question that I have to ask you. Do you think it's because of the industriousness of the Asian economies and population and governments, or do you think it's because the US is bloated and lazy and has therefore handed the economic growth to the Asian economies without even thinking about it. I'm going to go halfway to saying that I think it's because of the industrialisedness of Asia. And I think that essentially much of the West, and particularly the United States, has become so service-oriented at the moment that it doesn't really produce very much. And you know, four years ago, before we, we, we went into the recent storm, if you look at the data of the top 10 category items that the United States exported to China, nine of them were primary materials. They were lumber, gas, oil. There was a 10th, Boeing, and we all know what's happened to Boeing. Yes. So uh, the the reality is is that uh, in terms of, I think the United States has forgotten how to make things and export them. Um, and I think we have to be aware of the fact that uh, that service-oriented economies can almost become overwhelming, and that can become something of an Achilles heel. Is it a bad thing, though, that the United States has stopped being a manufacturer or is slowly stopping to be a manufacturer and has become a service economy? If it wants to reinvent itself, then fine. Then give the mantle of manufacturing to the Far East and to Southeast Asia and get on with what it's good at. I don't think it's that bad a thing, in my opinion. Well, it's not that bad a thing if it is also uh, thinking up new things, which can somehow put into some sort of royalty pack uh, and sell to the world. But increasingly, it's been outwitted there too. Um, Not absolutely. There are still a couple of areas where the United States reigns supreme. Um, uh, For instance, in the actual technology that goes into understanding how microchip is produced, But that list is getting shorter and shorter and shorter. I mean, recent example, which completely blew my mind, is the way in which GSM has now been replaced by Baidu, which is the Chinese equivalent of low orbiting satellite network, which is much, much more accurate, much more sophisticated and can do a whole lot of of more things besides merely telling you where you are. Um, The reality is, is that if the United States had indeed moved very much into the thinking space and reigned glorious in that space, it may not be so bad. 
but just you know in the aftermath of, uh, of of the pandemic and i'm thinking back to sort of the middle of last year the emphasis in china was to get get people back into the factories the emphasis in the united states was get, to get people back into the tattoo parlors and i'm afraid i know which country is going to win in that race Global supply chains will increasingly not just lead from Asia, but into Asia, you say, and Asia's largest customer will be itself. So it's almost as though there's going to be a, a ring fence around Asia and they'll be self-sustaining, they'll be independent, and they don't need the United States. That's almost what you're implying. Not self-sustaining, but much more able to drive themselves forward without relying on the impetus of outside demand. And that, I think, is critically important to understand, is that you know, by 2030, the tr free trade zone that China recently joined, that includes Japan and Korea and Australia and New Zealand, um, and uh, uh, that is uh, uh, now going to be 50% of the global economy by 2030. So I think what's happening here is that you know, with the emergence of middle class, not just in China, but led by China, um, and the huge numbers of middle-class members there will be throughout the particularly East Asian region by 2030 means the center of economic gravity in terms of demand, not just in terms of supply, will increasingly be Asia. You say with commercial trade patterns re-centering on the East, investors need to consider carefully the knock-on effects on capital flows. And you also talk about going with the flow. Is it the case that in the future you'll be investing in America when it comes to Silicon Valley, the Amazons and Googles, alphabets of this world, and look for manufacturing exposure in the Far East? Will there be two different asset classes and two different jurisdictions? Uh, not entirely. I mean, as you well know, Lindsay, here in South Africa, in a sense, the only stock you needed to buy in 2000 was Naspers. Yes. And that was essentially exposed to Chinese tech. So while I don't think there are going to be a huge number of manufacturing opportunities in the United States, I do think there are going to be quite a few tech opportunities in, in, in Asia. So would you rather be exposed to Asian tech than American tech because American tech is too mature and too overvalued? No, neither mature nor overvalued. I think one has to be exposed to both. But the point I'm making here is that it is not a clean division that all tech is in America and all, all manufacturing is in Asia. I want to talk about the giant cycle that we're going through at the moment, the economic cycle. The, the giant cycle is uh, America to the fore, waning in its influence and Asia coming to the fore. That's a, that's a different story. But the, the short term recalibration of the world economy, is it to do with restocking or is it a genuine growth movement? Look, I think there is some growth. And a lot of that growth uh, can be seen to be a combination of cyclical and a rebound from lows. But there continues to be some secular growth. Yes, the uh, China did not achieve more than a whatever it was, 2.3% GDP growth rate last year. But it was um, a growth rate. Um, perhaps the most interesting stat that I saw on China's achievement last year was that it created 11.9 million new jobs in urban areas, which tells you that you know, it continues. The process continues. Their forecast for this year is 11 million, and they yes. tend to lowball these numbers. Um, and that's not all about um, uh, one story. Uh, I think we're hearing a lot about the United States at the moment because of all that's been going on, the vaccines, the, the Biden plan. 
um, and the sense that we have to remember that over 50% of the uh, all-country world index is still geared towards the United States. So inevitably, capital is going to pay most attention to the United States when such a rebound takes place. But I do feel that there's something much more cyclical stroke rebound about the United States and indeed the West um, than there is about Asia, which is less cyclical and more structural. You sent me another piece, which is far too detailed for the scope of this podcast, but it's also reorientation. And you call it the world past, present and future as seen through a Chinese lens. And you give us a map of the world seen through the eyes of a fish. And I can't go through that, but maybe you could just summarize it. And we can have a future podcast particularly devoted to this 40 slide piece. All right. Well, look, I think probably the slide that completely struck me most was the fact that during the third encounter with European and then including American powers by China in the 19th century, uh, the first being the First Opium War, the second being the Second Opium War, where the French joined the British. But by the time we get to the box of the rebellion at the turn of the century, there were eight great powers, including Japan, Russia, United States, and all the great powers of Europe, with a single invading army that captured Beijing and divided Beijing just as Berlin was 45 years later, into sectors according to each sphere of influence, which the US, UK, even Italy had a sphere of influence uh, in Beijing for a period of time. And I think we forget um, that China has been ravaged over 200 years by foreign invaders. Obviously, and I'm not trying to make any particular point here, the worst was Japan, uh, which started in 1937 and went through to the end of uh, 1945. Um, and that really that killed 18 million people in China. Um, and I think China is particularly sensitive to the idea that they're being told that they're being expansionist at the moment when they, they send an aircraft carrier into the South China Sea. I think we have to understand that they have a peculiar history. It's important to understand that history. And I take as my cue a quote which Joe Biden gave in his inaugural address, which is that we should for a moment stand apart from our own lives and stand in the shoes of others. Uh, and I think it's really important to stand in the shoes of China and its history to understand where it is today and where uh, it is likely to be traveling in the future. Michael Power, thank you so much for your insight. Michael Power is a strategist at 91 in Cape Town. The views and opinions expressed in these podcasts are those of Lindsay Williams and various contributors and do not reflect the policy, position or opinion of any other agency, organization, employer or company associated with strictlybusinesspodcast.com. Assumptions made on the analyses are not reflective of the position of any other entity other than the speaker or the author. And since we are critically thinking human beings, these views are always subject to change, revision and rethinking at any time. Please do not hold us to them in perpetuity.